we are a people uh, who are becoming. What we believe is happening here this morning as we gather together as God's people is that we are a people who are becoming real, who are becoming who God has created us to be. That what it means to be a follower of Jesus is to be someone who has been made into a new creation. That's what Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away and the new has come. And we spend the entirety of our Christian journey living out that reality, becoming more and more of who God has created us to be. And I love this, this song. It's called Velveteen by Krista Wells. You can go home and listen to the rest of it because it, it captures uh, not only the, the vision of who we are becoming, but the, the longing of it. Like the way the song sounds, there's this yearning to be who we were created to be. And over the next three weeks, kind of as we start off this new year together, we're going to be talking about here on Sunday mornings who we're becoming. As people who are followers of Jesus, who you are becoming, who we are, and who we are becoming as a congregation. And the, the key truth for this morning, the, the reality that I hope uh, gr- that the Holy Spirit grabs you with this morning is that you are the church. That's the take home for this morning. So if you're a note taker, that's it. You are the church. That we are the church. Not the person sitting next to you. Well, yes, the person sitting next to you also, right? But you that that's true about who you are. It's a part of your identity as someone who's been made new in Christ, that you are the church, that we are the church. And that's what we're gonna be spending our time on this morning. So I'm gonna invite Mary Bloom to come up. Mary is gonna read for us uh, out of 1 Peter 2. So if you have your Bible, you can flip there. It will also be up here uh, on the screen. 1 Peter 2, verses four through six. There it is. And you'll flick it on. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Let's pray. And Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you for your promise uh, that you uh, have made us new creations, that you've given us an identity, that our identity is not something that we have to find or search for or create for ourselves, Lord, that it's something that you uh, have lovingly given to us. Jesus, we pray that as we gather together this morning, as your Holy Spirit is moving among us, Father, that you would be changing us, that you'd be making us more and more into who you say we already are, which is your church. 
And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So guys, I just have to tell you this morning, I'm amped up to talk about this. I don't know if I grabbed like the fully caffeinated coffee. I usually drink decaf. So I don't know if I like switched my Keurig pod this morning or what is going on, but I'm pumped about it because this truth, this reality that we are the church, that you are the church, it changes everything. And it's so central to why we are doing church here in East Nashville. I have all of these notes that I wrote and rewrote, and they're not even useful this morning, so we'll see where the Holy Spirit takes us. But I'm pumped about it because it matters for us. You know, eight years ago, I think it's eight years ago now this church started, there were people who were going to Midtown uh, downtown in Rocket Town, this big concert venue, and it was packed out. And there were people from that congregation who said, hey, we want to do this thing called church in our neighborhood. Whoa, I'm already crying. What is going to happen this morning? Uh, Part of it's because I'm looking at some of those people. And I remember being in the room the day that we sent them off, and I remember crying about that. Thinking, oh, there are people who I love who were going over there, and I'm not going to see them anymore on Sundays because of what God has called them to do. And that is this, is what we're doing over here. And for those people who came and started Midtown East eight years ago, the people who signed up to be a part of that seven years ago, six years ago, the people who have stacked their hands on this and said, hey, this is worth doing. The reason that you guys did that and have done it and are doing it is because we believe that God has called us to be the church here in East Nashville. This is about so much more than uh, having a convenient place to go to church. Yeah, it, it sucks to drive over the river to do anything. I know, I agree, right? I didn't get it till I lived here, I get it. Uh, us doing church here is about so much more than that, right? What we get to do together, the people that we get to see, the way that we get to experience God weaving our lives together day in and day out, it is such a beautiful gift and a part of what God has given us here. And that's part of us being the church. And it's more than that. That what we believe is that God has called us as Midtown Fellowship, East Nashville, to declare the excellencies of him who has called us out of darkness and into his marvelous light. That's who we are. And as we wrap our minds and our hearts around that, as we celebrate the ways that God has been faithful to honor a the time that's been poured in, we're praying and hopeful for the ways he's gonna establish us and continue to establish us as a church here in East Nashville. And, and for us to, to, the reality that we are the church is, is, is what makes that possible. Okay, so let's talk about what the Bible has to say about that. What Peter has to say about that. In verse, in verse four of this chapter, Peter says, as you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, then he says in verse five, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house. And what Peter is doing here is he's pulling on this thread that goes all the way back to the very beginning of the New Testament. No, not that. The very beginning of the Old Testament. This thread that goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden. Because what happened in the Garden when God created Adam and Eve, his people, his desire was to be with them. 
That was the whole point of creating them, to be with him that they would enjoy him forever. And if, if you know the story, uh, we'll be studying it in a few weeks, sin entered the picture and it broke apart that fellowship between man and God. And the rest of the story of scripture is about God coming to reestablish his presence among his people, his being with them. And you can trace that thread all the way through the Old Testament. We see it, for example, in the tabernacle, which was this movable tent that God gave instructions for his people to build. Like if you're in a Bible reading plan, this comes at the end of Exodus. God gives five chapters all about it, and when you get there, you might think it's kind of boring. It kind of is, okay? And then a few chapters later, there are like five more chapters all about them just doing the exact same instructions that God told them to do. And the point is, God is saying, I'm going to come and I'm going to dwell amongst you and I'm going to give you all of these instructions because the place that I'm going to come and be with you, it's, it's got to be beautiful, magnificent and glorious that when you come into it, you say, wow, because that's the kind of God that I am. And so that tent, it travels around with the Israelites all throughout their time in the wilderness, and they get into the promised land, this land that God has given them, and they finally get a permanent home. And so they decide, we're going to build God a permanent home. It's called the temple in Jerusalem. And when Solomon dedicates that temple in 2 Chronicles 28, he prays this prayer, and he acknowledges, God, you don't live in houses made by human hands. You're the God who created heaven and earth. You can't be contained in one place. And yet, God, what you have said is that you will set your name in this one very specific place, at the temple. And the temple then became the focal point of the nation of Israel. They would go up there three times a year from across Israel, then from across the Mediterranean world. They would gather here for festivals. It was the place where God said, this is where I have put my name, so come here to worship me. He gathered his people there. It was the place that you would go and you would stand in awe of God, in wonder, that, that you would behold his power his, and his glory. We, we read about it in our call to worship this morning. I thirst for God, my soul thirsts for the living God. And what the psalmist so often say is, and so I went up to the temple and that's where I encountered God and steadfast love. And what Peter is telling us, the scandalous truth that is in this passage is that God no longer dwells in the temple in Jerusalem, that now God has come and he dwells amongst us. That the place that our God chooses to manifest himself, to set his name for his glory and his power to be shown is here amongst us. I wish you all got to see you every Sunday the way I get to. But that's what I get to see every Sunday is the gathered people of God, God amongst us. Would you just look around you for a minute? Just like turn your head, like look at these people. Yeah, I know it's awkward. Just keep, if you didn't do it, okay, I want you to look around too. Because these are the people that are God's temple with you. Real life, everyday people, just like you. There's something that's so breathtaking about that and at the same time can also be kind of underwhelming, right? Oh, us? Y yeah. And how appropriate, given the gospel, 
like what we celebrated at Christmas, that God himself in the person and form of Jesus Christ came down and said, I'm gonna live among you. You know like Jesus had to clip his fingernails and wash his hair because it got greasy, right? He was like a real person. He was in the nitty gritty of our everyday lives because that's exactly where God desires to be. You realize almost every other religion has like a place that you go like in Islam, every year you make, or not every year, but the goal is at some point in your life, you go on the Hajj, you go to Mecca to this one set-aside spiritual place where you really encounter God. And, and you can go through all kinds of different religions, and, and that's true. There's a place, or you have to get outside of your everyday life to go and experience God. I mean, I love a silent retreat as much as anybody, right? But but the truth of the gospel is that God is with us here in the nitty-gritty of our lives, in the everyday of our lives, just as much as he is in any of those places. That's the gospel. That God delights and desires to be amongst us. You know, wherever two or three are gathered, there I am among them, is that verse of Matthew? Yeah, that's true. And your small group, he's there among you. When you are having dinner with the people in here in this room who you are following Jesus with, he's there among you. Y'all, we're the church. And that's important to say here in the, bike, in, the, in the buckle of the Bible belt, right? Where a lot of us grew up going to church every Sunday. You know, you gotta put your, put your nice clothes on. My grandpa would tell me, why are you wearing those flip-flops? That is so disrespectful to the house of God. And I'm like, Grandpa, I'm a teenager. I'm going to wear what I want. But there's a sense of, well, we, we go to church, right? Or here in East Nashville, where you move when you're trying to escape the Bible Belt, but still not pay very much in taxes, right? Here in East, right? The church may not be the place that you go, but the church is an institution, isn't it? It's this thing that we can critique and comment on. Well, you know, the church. Y'all, the church is us. It's you. When, when, when this church was meeting at the Inglewood Community Center and putting up pipe and drape every week, yeah, Jesus was there because God's people were there. And when we were in the Stratford Auditorium, Jesus was there because God's people are there. And the Holy Spirit is here with us now because God's people are here. And if God takes us out of here and takes us somewhere else because this place is filling up, Jesus will be there because we are there as God's people. Okay, so we are the church. But that's not the thing I said I wanted you to remember. It was that you were the church. Because that is also true. Yes, together we are something, Individually, you are a part of that. And our scripture points this out. Peter points this out. You yourselves, he underlines it, are like living stones, individually. That each of us are a part of the church as individual people. We are being built up as a spiritual house for God to dwell. And you know, the, the way that that masonry, stonework worked in this time as there was someone called a stone dresser. That each individual stone that was placed in a building was given special individualized attention. It was shaped by a master artist who, was, who, who had a picture of what he was building and, and was able to shape the stones to fit exactly where they needed to be, who was making each stone beautiful. Guys, our God does not create ugly things. He only traffics in beauty. Always. 
only. And when he is building a house, the house that he is building here in and amongst us, y'all, it's beautiful. You. The work that God is doing in you is beautiful. That is who you are becoming is more and more the work of art that God created you to be. That's true about you. You are the church. And as we understand that reality, as we own that reality, as that sinks in for us, it, it, it totally changes the way that we do this thing called church. Like I said at the beginning, that, that we are a people who have been called out of darkness and into his marvelous light. A people who have been set apart to proclaim who God is. That he's called us together as a church and as individual people to, to build and be a part of a worshiping and a witnessing community. And friends, that's what we're fighting for in East Nashville. That's what we're praying for and working toward this year, that God would establish us as a thriving community of worship and witness in East Nashville. And guys, I will just remind you, uh, in case you've forgotten, that's hard work. And in East Nashville, that's hard work. You'd be hard-pressed when you look around East to find churches. You say, man, that church is just thriving in East Nashville. It's hard. And it's, it's work, guys, that, that we have been grinding on, praying that God would do for years, and we're trusting him in that, that that's the work he's doing. And as we pray for that and hope for that, uh, we ask God, okay, how are you going to use me in that? What's the role you're asking me to play? That, that what I hope you hear is that there's, there's an invitation here to ownership of this place and who we are. Guys, I cannot establish a thriving community of worship and witness in East Nashville. That's impossible, first of all, for one person to do, for like a paid staff person to do at a church. There's, there's some kind of fallacy built in there, like, oh, well, you know, we've got the paid staff people to do that. They, they kind of do the church thing. And we can kind of talk about church like that. Oh, you know, we're over at Midtown. It's like, well, no, that's us. It's like when you hire a new person at work. This has happened recently on our pastoral team. And when people start a new job, they start out saying, well, you know how, how you guys do it. No, no, no. That's how we do it. Because you're on this team now, right? That's true about us as a church. So we'd say, no, we are owning this together. Guys, uh, I don't know if, if maybe you've forgotten this. Sometimes I do. This church is still a church plant. Like what we have here on a Sunday morning, this is a good-sized core group of people. Yes, praise God for that. And what that means is that we get the opportunity to live in the reality that's so clear to us week in and week out that we are the church. How many of you, when you like played sports in high school or whatever, were the people who rode the bench? Any of you bench riders? Yes, proudly. Uh, that was me on my football team, right? I was always, always on the bench. No, guys, that's not true. I was never even on the football team because I would have been on the bench the whole time. It's pointless. Why even do it? I went for a few weeks, but it's just a long story. We don't have to talk about it. Okay, it's embarrassing. You join the team because you want to play on the field, right? Isn't that what the movie Rudy is about? I think I maybe saw the end of it. 
a person who like week in and week out serves the team, and I think maybe he hands out water, I don't know. I thought about looking it up and I thought I need to do that. Uh, but at the end, I think Rudy gets on the field, right? And everyone is so excited because that's the point of being on the team is you wanna be on the field, you wanna put on the jersey. Y'all, you're wearing the jerseys. You're on the team. Whether you have been here eight years or whether you have been here a month or a week, if you're saying, hey, this is the place that God has, has called me to be a part of the church, put on the jersey, man, because uh, this is it. This is who you are called to be. And there's so much adventure there. This is so much more than a place to come and consume something. This is a place that we are called to participate, to become who we are. And there are so many ways to do that. Uh, Peter calls us living stones. He's mixing his metaphors here on purpose. What he's reminding us is the church is both an organization and an organism. The church is both an organization and an organism. Which means there are ways for us to participate in the life of the church that are both organizational and organic. And I will tell you, the organic ways are like, that's more the East Nashville way, right? And we'll get there in a second. But the organizational ways are also important. Like, that's why we do church membership here. At the end of this letter, uh, Peter talks specifically to the elders and and the people about what that elder-congregant relationship is like. What Peter is implying is that he he assumes that all of this reality is going to be fleshed out like in a a day-to-day organization. P.S., if you're interested in membership... We have a class coming up in January. It starts next Wednesday. It's called Explore Midtown. You can scan the code and learn more about it. Anyway, we're an organization, right? And there are ways that, uh, that we function that even make Sunday happen uh, that we want to invite you to be part of. And let me say, first of all, uh, thank you. Okay, because this place has been happening week in and week out, year in and year out, because of how faithful y'all serve, how faithful you guys are in serving. Thank you. And what our, what our hope is, is that if this is the place God is calling you to, to put on the jersey and, and be the church, and that you would participate here on a Sunday morning, even in an organizational way. There are some um, cards on the end of your rows, with pins to go with them, that tell you specifically uh, how you can do that in the coming year. So you can look to the corners of your rows, to the ends of your rows. There are flyers there. I'm just going to tell you some very specific places that we would love uh, for you to jump in. So uh, one of those places is with our worship team. As these guys lead us faithfully week in and week out in worshiping God. What a gift. And one of the things we are hoping to do in the coming year is to kind of fill out our sound. Very specifically, uh, we would love for people who play bass and percussion to, to jump in with us. Also, if you know how to run sound, we could use some more people who do that. Uh, and if you would like to do it but don't know how, it turns out we can train you. So that's great news, okay? So that's like one very specific way. Another very specific way is what Liv talked about in Kid Town, right? And she was kind of uh, leading, she was leading you this morning in the vision of what is happening in Kid Town. What, what she said is true. That that is a community, a thriving community of worship and witness that's a part of this community. But it takes us all being involved for that to happen. So, man, I would encourage you uh, to, to think about volunteering in Kid Town. Liv said it real soft, guys. 
She said, I'm not going to actually ask you. I'm just going to challenge you to think about it. I'm, I'm going to ask you to go beyond thinking about it and sign up and do it, okay? And then uh, the last kind of thing for this spring that we're really investing some time in is uh, our Connect team. You've uh, hopefully experienced it this morning. And when you've been here in December, we've had people who have been greeting each Sunday. We have some people who are going to start helping us park because on Sundays where we're full in here, it can get kind of crazy out there. And what we want people to experience from the moment they step onto this little campus is the welcome of the gospel and a smiling face and someone who remembers their name and someone who helps them find out where to park because coming to a new place can be scary and confusing. We need your help with that. We're looking for people who would serve for like four to six weeks at a time and then not serve for a while so that there's the chance for you to like learn a new person's name and then remember it the next week. Okay. So you can fill out one of those forms, put your name and email on it, and just check the thing you want to be involved in, making it as easy as possible. And we'll talk about it probably the next two or three weeks, so there will be more opportunities. Because we are being the church, right? You see how that, cha- how that follows through? And that's where it starts to get uh, really practical. The way that we are the church, there are those organizational ways that we do it, and there are also all of these organic ways that we do it. And I will tell you guys, this church, it's in our DNA. It's the legacy of this congregation. You know, there were two years where Midtown East, two years, year and a half, a while, where Midtown East did not have a pastor. They had two uh, part-time staff people. And you guys figured it out. That what you said is that this place is worth it to us. The mission that Jesus has us on is worth it to us. And so we'll make it happen. And you did. The organizational piece and that was a time in where this church stacked hands on the organic nature of what it meant to be the church. The ways that you guys have cared for each other and loved each other. Like when we send out uh, Meal trains, there's like an organizational part of that because we send a text, but there's an organic sense of that, of, just, of the way that you connect for and care for each other. Yes. That when you meet people here and you invite them to go on a walk or to coffee or to grab brunch after the service, yes, that is you being the church. That's, that's who we are and it's who we're becoming even more of. And, and again, if you're, if you're new to this community, if you've been here for a little while, I want to tell you, you can be a part of that like now. There's kind of that like the period of, am I like really in here? Do I really belong? And before I can ask other people to, I've got to make sure that I, now let's just stop with all of that. Man, if you're in, then let's do it. I want to invite you into the organic life of this community, of being in the church with these people. And not just in how we care for each other, but how we care for and share Jesus with the people who are, who are not here yet. Like one of the things that I'm pumped about for this semester is we're talking to our small groups about, hey, what would it look like for us to do something that we just invite other people who are not a part of Midtown to? Like maybe your small group watches the Super Bowl together and you invite other people to come and watch that with you who aren't a part of your small group and like aren't a part of Midtown East. Yes! That's like the organic nature of what it means to be the church and be on mission together. There are ways that we're thinking about and praying about, Lord, how are you asking me to care about not just the people who are already in this room, but the people who aren't here yet? 
Because that declaration of the God who's called us out of darkness into his marvelous light, we declare it to each other and we're declaring it to the people around us. We've got to acknowledge that 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 day-to-day nitty-gritty of being the church Uh, it can be really hard that we are building something and praying that God would build something here in the midst of a time that is incredibly uh, anti-establishment. All you gotta do is flip on Netflix to know that that's true. You can watch Megan and Harry's documentary, right? You can watch uh, We Crashed, which you all know I love. Uh, All of these documentaries that are all about what happens when people's sin like leaks out and it ruins things. I'm sure you guys have experienced that even in the church, even here in this church. That's a part of being a community with other people is that they hurt us. And it's not just that other people hurt us, but that, that we hurt the people around us. If you've been a part of this church for eight years or seven years or six years, five years, you've, you've been hurt by people here. You've hurt people here. That's a, that's a part of this. We can talk about this thing we're hoping for and asking God to do and yet wonder, man, is, is there any hope for that? Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. That our hope as a people is the mercy that our God has poured out on us. But that's what pulls us together and binds us together is the mercy that our God has poured out on us that we come here together and we're declaring not how amazing we are, how confident we are, how able we are to do what we want to do. That's not what this is about at all, but this is a place where we gather together and we say we are a people who are desperate for the mercy of God, who recognize how in need we are of what Jesus can do for us. That that's at the core of our being and who we are of a people. It's what allows us to do this work together of of the hard day-to-day work of being the church, of loving for, caring for, and forgiving each other. Do any of you ever listen to Revisionist History, the Malcolm Gladwell podcast? Okay. Uh, I don't know if this was like last season. There was this episode about fairy tales. There was actually a series all about fairy tales. So fascinating. And what Malcolm does is he contrasts these two different kinds of fairy tales, the like modern fairy tale and then like the older ancient like fairy tale. Okay, the example of a modern fairy tale would be like uh, Cinderella, where Cinderella is this beautiful, kind, gentle, animal-loving person, right? And bad things have happened to her. Like her dad died and she's got really mean, ugly stepsisters and they're horrible to her. and, And then... All of a sudden, Cinderella gets a fairy godmother and good things start to happen to her. And and what's true about modern fairy tales is that the good things always happen to the good people. And, and, And at least what Malcolm says 
is that in the research on kids who are watching those kind of fairy tales, is the parts of their brain that light up are the parts of their brain that have to do with shame. Because even as kids, we know, that's not me. And if my hope is that I've got to be good enough for good things to happen, it's going to be a rough world. And he contrasts that with, with uh, ancient fairy tales or older fairy tales, and, and the example that he uses is... Uh, kind of an archetype for the story of a kid who is given his family's like last money and told to go buy food. Like the food they'll probably eat as their last meal. Which is very bleak. And again, that's an ancient fairy tale, right? Why would you give that money to a kid? It's a great question. Anyway, the kid goes out in the story and buys a doll instead of the food and comes home. And his parents are like, what the heck? We have no food. And then it turns out the doll is a magic doll and the doll grants wishes and the doll saves the family and gives them more than they could ever have asked or imagined. And when kids see, th- is that funny? Yeah, <laughs> that's like different than the fairy tales we watch, guys. But when kids watch that kind of fairy tale, the joy parts of their brain light up because we know, oh, I am not enough. On my own, I'm desperate, and I am desperately in need of someone to do for me what I cannot do for myself, and that is what our Jesus has done for us, that we are people who are united by the mercy that God has poured out on our lives, and rather giving us what we deserve, which is his wrath, he has given us his love. That's who we are. That is the God that we are declaring to the world around us, a God who has called us out of darkness and into his marvelous night, light, not because of who we are, but because of how much he loves us. And that's what makes coming to the table uh, here this morning like such an appropriate way for us to, to close the morning. That what we are doing this morning when we come to the Lord's table is we are taking a family meal. You know that? I, I made vows uh, and I said, I will not give this to people alone. I can't just like go and just give it to just you if you're in the hospital. What I will do is take other people with me to come with me to you in your hospital bed and give you communion. Because this is a family meal. It's something that we take together because we are reminded as a people we have been knit together by the mercy God has poured out on us. That we come together declaring our desperation. I'm gonna invite you to, to, to do that this morning. That's what we're doing this morning when we take communion that we recognize that our hope of being the church, that what brings us together, our hope, our hope, our hope for our neighbors, for our world, is the God who meets us in our desperate need and pours out his love over us. So I'm gonna invite the worship team to come up. I'm gonna invite you guys, you can fold down the kneelers who are in, that are in front of you. You don't have to use them, but just in case you want to, and they kind of drop really loudly, so you can go ahead and do that now. And the way this will work this morning is uh, kind of set up communion for us and then there will be a song where you just get to reflect and repent, to acknowledge to the Lord, to cry out in your desperation and need, to acknowledge God, these are the places in my life that I know that I need you. And then I'll come up and we'll take the bread together. And then there'll be a song again where we get to 
continue to reflect, to sing, to start to celebrate and remember what God has done for us. And I'll come up and then we'll take the, the cup together and then we'll kind of close with a celebration of who God has made us to be as his body. And as we come, uh, guys, I gotta warn you. That's what scripture compels me to do. And what it says is, hey, if, if you are not in a place where you are admitting your desperate need for Jesus, then this meal is not for you yet. Not yet. Hopefully there will be a time where it is for you. But this meal is for people who are crying out and saying, I desperately need Jesus to do for me what I cannot do for myself. Now that's true about you and there are places in your life where you were telling Jesus, uh, yeah, I know that that's true, but actually stay away. Then this table is not for you right now either. But if you are here this morning and are acknowledging your desperate need for Jesus, then this table is for you. Run to it. Come to it. Let me pray for us. Father, we are in desperate need of you. And we praise you, God. We thank you. Uh, that you were not content uh, to leave us on our own, but that your desire all across the, the history of humanity has been to come and, and make your dwelling amongst your people, to be with us. And Lord, this morning we remember and we celebrate the ways you've done that for us in Jesus. Lord, as we sit and reflect, as we sing, as we cry out to you in desperation, uh, would you meet us this morning? Would you feed us on your body and on your blood? Amen.